Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of The Growth Show. I am delighted to be joined uh, with uh, Ollie Phillips. Ollie was the uh, England Sevens uh, rugby captain, uh, also named uh, Rugby uh, Sevens Player of the Year. Holds four world records, um, currently working at PwC. Recently also appointed the Welsh Sevens Ladies uh, Coach um, as well and an authority when it comes to uh, leadership and development. Um, Ollie, thank you so much for joining us. Mate, thanks. Thanks for having me, Nick. I mean, mate, if you do, you know, if you ever want to be my agent, then I would love <laughs> to and fill that role and mantle. And even if you could just give that speech to my wife occasionally, that'd be brilliant, just so she knows why she married me. That'd be excellent too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel, a bit, I, feel like I haven't done much of my life. It's just, just uh, reading out your role. No, of, uh... <laughs> oh, um, I wanted to, there's, there's a load to cover, uh, but I thought we'd just start around, so it's very close to you, leadership. Um, and, and what does leadership mean to you? Uh, um... Well, yeah, to be honest with you, I th now, obviously, the time that we're in with a you know, COVID, coronavirus, or whatever, it's probably the, the perfect time to be looking at, looking out for, for leaders and, you know, and leadership guidance through a you know, pretty tumultuous, difficult time for lots and lots of people. Um, you know, for me, I, I used to think when I played rugby, you know, leadership was all about going from the front and carrying the torch and you know, running through brick walls and, and all the rest of it. And there is a little bit of that, I guess, an element of, you know, if, if you won't do it, then you know, how can anybody else be expected to do it? But I think as I've, as you can see, I've got lots of gray hair. So as I've got older, I sort of recognize that, you know, leadership is just about taking time to recognize and understand the values and the, uh, of, of all those people around you, like what's important to them, like aligning, whatever, you know, your business strategy, forget your business strategy, just aligning your values and principles and the, and the purpose of whatever it is that you're trying to do with those aims, ambitions, objectives of all those people around you. The quicker that you can hone into that and understand that, then the more effective you know, leader or the, the greatest sense of you know, leadership skills you're going you're gonna to show. Um, and that, you know, that for me has been something that's evolved over time, but definitely something... I've recognised of you know real leadership and the best leaders I've ever worked with are the ones that have understood what I'm about and given me the opportunity to flourish and 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 be me you know give the best version of me in any given circumstance. Yeah, and you mentioned purpose in there and the the importance of purpose uh, within a company. How are you seeing some of your clients identify that right now? I think to be honest, I think it's probably the most prominent and prevalent thing going on at this present moment in time when you've got a you know a virus that is unfortunately at, at, we are at the mercy of it to everyone and it's and it's taking lives and whatever else if you know the unless people are fully engaged with what your organization is about and what it represents and that they can really feel a part of it and actually that it is achieving you know a greater good and working towards something that they truly value then you're going to struggle to motivate them to to do anything for you i mean at the moment we're restricted to everybody being at home and um you, you know you can't turn up at the up, up at the workplace so if you're going to trust people and put all the integrity of your business in someone they need to believe that actually what they're doing 
is for a greater good for you know for want of a better description and some companies are absolutely nailing that purpose statement you know what they're about what their identity is and who they are and what they represent and they are shining through some of them and others are still you know struggling to wrestle with that i think realizing oh my god this is you know this is something we need to actually give a lot of credence to but it's difficult as well when obviously the chips are down and you're trying to scramble uphill but but that's the most for me that's the most critical thing purpose-driven organizations businesses teams whatever are the ones that come out on top in the end yeah and how how do you think managers should be managers and leaders should be looking to uh, maximise potential of people right now? Like, what, what's the things you've seen that have stood out? Um, well, I, I, so I, actually, one of the greatest things that ever stood with me was when I was at Newcastle Falcons, my first ever club. And we had, oh, he's still around, but yeah, at the time we had a short little fat Geordie bloke that was, called, was our fitness coach. He was more than that. He was a life coach. He was everything. He was, if you want to my own personal coach. He was a guy called Steve Black. He was the, the guy behind Johnny Wilkinson that sort of made him the player that he was and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I never forget, he, he came to me and it was probably one of the greatest bit of management speak or coaching advice that he'd ever given me. And it was so simple. A lot of this stuff is, <clears throat> a lot of this stuff is common sense, but not necessarily common practice. Yeah. And he just came over to me and he said, look, Ollie, I was, I was 19, 20, I think at the time. And he said, look, maximize your strengths and just manage your weaknesses. And I was like, what are you on about, Blackie? You know, of course. He's like, look, you're going to come across loads of coaches, loads of managers in your time on the rugby field and away that are going to come up to you and they're going to literally tell you everything that you're bad at. Right? And if you listen to it, all you're gonna, you've only got 24 hours in every day. You're going to spend all of that time working on stuff that you're naturally or just not that good at. And everything that you're amazing at, which is why we brought you here, you're going to forget about. And all you'll end up doing is just ending up in the middle of being average. And nobody wants anyone that's average. So I was like, oh, right. So it just, <clears throat> it stuck with me all the way through, just, just understanding and guess what I'm really good at and what I'm not so good at. And then just working all the time on making sure that my strengths are like super sharp, super honed, and that my weaknesses are not something that's going to you know, cause the team to to you know to trip up or lose or anything like that and, and that is possibly one of the best bits of advice i've ever had luckily i've got it early doors it is good we have, we have an expression turning up the volume right we we just focus on crank the dial where you can to 10 and don't worry about the other dials there's, there's not too many 360 you know perfect humans out there right in this no, no. I, think, I can give you a brilliant example right i won't name any names but I remember there was this awesome young hooker that was coming through at Newcastle when we were there. Super, super talented, absolutely brilliant. When he got the ball in his hands, a bit like, if people know their rugby, a bit like short Brits who played for, yeah. um, for Sarries, just could do magic with a ball, right, in his hand. And he turned up, but he was light. He was, you know, 90 kilos or whatever. And so the coaches at the time were like, you've got to put weight on, got to put weight on. Like you've got to get bigger, you've got to get stronger or whatever. So all he did was focus for like four months, six months on eating loads, getting massive, loads of weights and whatever else. And at the end of the year, he was a young lad, like 19, 20, was hoping to get another contract. And they said, no, we're not giving you another contract. And he was like, well, why? You know, well, I've done everything you asked. I've put on like six kilos, I'm stronger and whatever else. He's like, yeah, well, 
not dynamic anymore around the park. You know, and it's like, oh, if you know, that kid, you've just ruined that kid's, you know, ruined that, ruined that kid's experience, that kid's coaching journey, because everything that he was brilliant at, at the beginning was actually all you wanted. But it was only until you got him massive and slow and sluggish that you realised. And by then it's too late. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what would you say is the difference between good coaches and good uh, managers? Well, two very different skill sets. Great question. Um, yeah, uh, coaching, uh, I mean, there's obviously lots of crossover and transfer, but the best coaches don't always make the best managers. Mm. Equally, the best managers don't make the best coaches. And I think you know, great coaching is having a real passion point for teaching and for you know, for, for, for teaching and educating and supporting and taking people through a journey and, and seeing talent being nurtured and flourished. Management, for me, feels more like, and people disagree, but management feels like you're very good at the detail. You're organised, you're on form, you can, you're great at process. You are, you're really good at, at putting the jigsaw puzzle together. Um, and, that's, and then, you, you know, so your time and effort and energy and skill set, strength, is all focused on that, whereas a coach is best utilised, not worrying about process and detail and organising and timing. It's about, here's a, here's a shiny stone, get the best out of it. You know, like shine it, coach it, educate it, come at it from so many different angles and different perspectives to try and make sure that you land and resonate with the, the way that that person wants to learn. Like, I don't know, I am somebody that is very energy focused. Mm. I need, Energy, I need high fives, you know, lucky bum taps, cuddles, like, <laughs> lots of visual learning, lots of, you know, like, come and talk to me, make it face-to-face. -face. Like, I'm not great at, like, you know, send me 40 pages to read it. I'll fall asleep after two. You know, so I, I need that conversation stuff, whereas somebody else is very – it could be all about, I, I want the literature, I want the facts, I want the data, I want to process it. You know, and great coaches recognize that. <laughs> and they deliver the content in the way that it needs to be delivered so that the individual gets better. Managers are the ones that are, you know, are great at just putting all those blocks in place so, that you, so, you, so you've got all the access to whatever it is you need and they keep the shit, they, they keep the shit steered direction. For me, yeah. I mean. No, no, I think mean, I mean, that's a great point. And how have, you, how have you adapted your sort of coaching and management style from moving from sports environment into a corporate environment yeah I mean, well i'll be honest it hit me like a freight train you know <laughs> i think i think um you know i i definitely had the uh, what well, so i i was for me I, I was coming from an environment it was it was compounded of a whole series of things but i came from an environment where i was ultimately the you know one of the i got voted as the best player in the world at one point in time so you know, I'm not saying I was the best player in the world, but like as an elite sportsman playing professional rugby, you are in the whatever top five percentile of rugby players in the world. Um, and so therefore you're good at your job, right? But I was also very good at like a specific role in my job. So I was a winger, if people know rugby. So therefore my job was, you know, catch high balls, score tries. You know, that was, you know, the limits of what I was meant to be doing. So very specialist niche, but I understood the game plan as well. Like, I, I didn't know how to be a prop. But I could look at a prop and be like, that's not, you know, you're not doing very well. I don't know why, but you're not doing very well. Um, coming into a corporate environment at PwC, 
you know, I, I was suddenly like you know, full of energy and up for it and whatever else. But then it dawned on me like, okay, well, hold on. All the things that I was good at, or I, you know, it wasn't going to be much use to PwC catching a high ball or smashing somebody at the, you know, photocopying machine or something like that. Yeah. I don't think it would have gone too well with HR. <laughs> um, so it was quite a, a steep learning curve and transition for me around, hold on, here I am as a director in this business, you know, a, a, a bit of, you know, a feeling like a fake and, and, and whatever else like that in terms of, okay, hold on, I, like, I think I've got these transferable skills, don't really know what they are, don't know how to apply them. You know, I'm sitting in meetings, people are asking me for my opinion and direction and guidance and I'm not entirely sure what I should be saying so you know that if you like self-doubt sort of self-perpetuates so it took me a little while to get comfortable it was bizarre another thing we used to say when I played with England <clears throat> you used to have to get comfortable at being uncomfortable mm. and I used to love that I used to relish that experience with England because it was all about the physical and you know, mental challenge of putting yourself in a horrible place physically mentally whatever but I didn't necessarily relish it as much when I was in a corporate play, a corporate environment. It took me a while to appreciate that statement because I was like, well, I really don't like this feeling of being you know, the, the, the least knowledgeable in the room and the, 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 you know, is everybody looking at me going, oh, like he's an idiot and he doesn't know what he's talking about, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Ah, they may have been thinking that. Nobody ever said it, but you know, I'm sure they weren't. But it's, it's your own... It's, it's your own brain playing games on you, playing tricks on you. So yeah. it certainly took me a while to mould and get comfortable with my new environment and then, you know, recognise my, my skill sets, my strengths, which were about people and understanding and asking, I thought the dumb questions were, were, were quite relevant to the scenario. And then, uh, you know, understanding what's important to Nick. What are you trying to do here as, as my client? What's really important? Rather than me coming to you selling something, because I, I don't have anything to sell, personally, except for my business, my PwC, if you like. So what is it, the problem that you're wrangling with, and how can I solve that? Let yeah. me go and find my, you know, in my library of experts, let me go and find the person I think that can really help you, and I won't waste your time until I've found that person. And then you're incredibly grateful because I've saved you time, effort, money, because I've, I've listened to the problem. and. That for me, the biggest thing transferring into PwC was the probably the one thing I didn't do loads of as a player was listening. Right. Listening, just listening to what people need and want and what, what their problems are. Yeah. I, I, do you think you can spot? I think that we all suffer from imposter syndrome, right, going yeah. through our lives. Do you think you can spot that in people now across boardrooms? I mean, I. I see it daily, you know, people in their 50s, 60s who are still not fully comfortable with where they've got to. Do you think you can identify that better if you're going through that experience? Yeah, I, I think you definitely can. I mean, I, I, you know, and I see that. I'm a bit like you. I probably don't see it as often as you do, but, you know, I see those people that are trying, you know, they all say everyone's trying to fake it till they make it. But, but you know, I think imposter syndrome is prevalent in most people because you know, as you move through the food chain, in theory, it's, you know, ev everybody should be putting themselves in a position where they're uncomfortable because that's the only way you're going to learn. Mm. Like if it's easy and you know everything, life becomes pretty dull quite quickly. So 
everybody should be feeling a little bit of an imposter in their environment because it's encouraging them to flourish. But you can see it. And I think it's probably a criticism more of the environment that they're in than the individual themselves. Yeah. You know, the fact that they you know, are not, if you, if you like, supported and encouraged to, to learn and make mistakes so that therefore when they sit in boardrooms or they sit in whatever, they've, they feel like they have to play out this role. And actually, the stark reality is that by them doing that, you're actually putting everyone else at risk. <laughs> You know, by you not creating an environment of safety and, and, and encouraging them to, to learn and make mistakes and whatever else like that, and, and then you know, effectively having a bit of bravado to try and pretend like they know what they're talking about, everybody's actually more at risk. Yeah. <laughs> then they might break down or whatever else. Your business, because they might make the wrong decisions and, and carry it on because they don't want to admit they made a mistake. Um, and then you as an, as an entity, an organisation doing the ostrich and just putting your head in the sand and hoping that they just don't, they don't cook it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of egos right now, especially with the first real crisis we face. There's a lot of leaders feeling, having an, an image in their mind of what a leader should be, right? Yeah. That, that possibly isn't maybe as open as they need to be right now. Yeah, I, I agree. And yeah, it takes a very humble human being to, to hold their hand up and, and say, okay, we got this one wrong, you know? We, we thought we were in tailwinds or actually in headwinds now. To be honest, I don't think anybody could have predicted that there was going to be a mass virus that spread across the world and, and stopped it dead in its tracks. So yeah. you, know, you have to be a bit clairvoyant to do that one. But so, you know, and you know, maybe some companies over leveraged themselves and took on too much debt or you know, I don't know, whatever the scenario is. And companies are, are reeling off the back of that. But if I'm honest, <laughs> The only time I ever learned in sport was when we lost. Right. Yeah. The only time you lose, because when you win, even if you've made mistakes, people are normally over, uh, over-exuberant about the fact that they've, lost, they, that they've won the game. And so they, they're a bit more slack on their you know, analysis or whatever else like that. It's only when you lose that you sort of take a step back and you know, get punched in the face, knocked out. You're like, oh, I better put my hand up next time. You know, so it's those, it's that sort of environment that, you know, I think the best leaders will come out of this environment right now because they've learned how to be agile and um, and and manage people properly and recognise the strengths and weaknesses of their business and think on their feet and all of that is going to be hugely beneficial to the people and and to the organisation. But you need to have the courage and conviction to back. You know those people you've got to, you know it takes some brave souls aboard or whatever to say you know what we've just lost make it up we've just lost 500 million but i think actually ollie you're the you're the right person to back here because actually how you responded how you've reacted how people have all rallied around you it could have been a billion could have been a billion you've actually stopped us losing another 500 million and you know what now, because of the way you've acted and behaved, the structures you've put in place safeguard the business better, and everybody here is grateful to you. Like they're, they're, like they, they've, they've got you forever. You know, you, yeah. you are, you've got their loyalty, you've got their trust. That's the most important things you need. If you've got people that will go to war with you, then you've won half the battle already. And because they they believe in you, they believe in you, they trust in you, they know that. You've got the, their best intentions at heart. And, you know, right now, 
that's hard. You know, that, that, that people would be very grateful for that. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think one of the hardest things I think right now is because the unknown. You know, as a as a leader, you want to give firm, decisive action points going forward, but there are just few areas at the moment where we just don't know, right? Yeah. And that's vulnerability. I think I, I think it's key. I think actually, you know, being transparent on what is known and what is controllable and what is what is unknown and uncontrollable is, is key now. But I also think from a lot of the guys I see and uh, we help and sort of mentor, we're looking at a lot of people surrounding themselves with other mentors and having, you know, chats like this, which, which, which help um, my business. And I know we'll help plenty of other businesses. Um, have you had a culture of surrounding yourself with mentors? Yeah, 100%. I try all the time. Like, right. Um, I love, I, I get the most inspired from people that I always walk away thinking, God, you're so much more intelligent than me, which thankfully, Nick, happens fairly frequently. Not on this call. So, yeah, I just think, again, I think it comes back to a bit of humility like, that we spoke about. Like, having that um, foresight, humility, whatever you want to call it, to, to recognise that you don't know everything. And actually, if you can act as a sponge, you know, act as a sponge rather than a rock, or you know the classic, you know the classic management analogies or whatever. But you know, there's there are there's some there's some genuine thought and rationale behind it, which is you know if if you can appreciate the thoughts of other people around you, recognise the support structures that you can have with other people. It's times like this that it's going to pay off because mm. you know, you've got lots of different opinions and different angles. And as long as you are able to maintain maintain a bit of focus and clarity and not just get clouded amongst all the noise um it's going to be really super beneficial whereas if you're just an individual that thinks it knows it all you're going to have one opinion only and that's your own so yeah. unless you have absolutely nailed it which i would uh, even the greatest and richest people in the world make it wrong i mean i saw the other day warren buffett come out and say i got i called it totally wrong i've lost 50 billion but i'm out you know and I, and I think for me, even at whatever he's 80 odd, I loved it. I loved his interview, whatever he did the other way. Cause I was like, that is the sign of somebody that is, you know, he's made it, but he's still so humble and still loves learning. And still you know, the other thing you get with lots of egotistical people is they, they won't cut their losses. Yeah. Like they will just lead it to the end because they can't be wrong. Yeah. They just, yeah haven't got the humility to recognize that, it, that they were wrong. Um, and that could either be their own egos or that could be the environment that they're surrounded with. Like, I can't get this wrong. I can't, like, it's too, it's too costly. I've just got to just keep going. Yeah. You know, I love people that just got the courage to say, look, nine times out of 10, I get it right. One time, two times out of 10, I'll get it wrong. And I'm all right with that. I'm yeah. cool with that. I, I, I mean, I, I, I think there's a load, of, a load of leaders at the moment who are sort of obsessed with success or haven't tasted any kind of disappointment over the last sort of five, six years. Yeah. And that constant winning and constant success is quite, it's quite dangerous because you get hungry for more and more and more. How, how do you measure or justify success? What's the gauge you've used over your career? I think, I think you can get consumed with that word, if that makes sense. Yeah. And the, ultimately the definition of what that word is because most people equate success to, and I've certainly been a victim of this in the past, to you know, being number one and having 
more than everyone else and being the you know the leader and the head of the game and whatever else like that i think what what the one great thing about this current scenario is that success right now is actually having a population and a community mm. that are respectful that are appreciative of each other that look out for each other that are supportive and whatever else money and you know is money and wealth and number of cars you've got or how big your house is or whatever is totally irrelevant right now and what i've enjoyed over the past you know whenever i used to take part in anything now i'm still a competitive soul don't get me wrong right but <laughs> whenever i used to take when i was playing for england or whatever it was win at all costs you know, yeah. just win at all costs and and there, there wasn't any sort of real rationale as to why you just became obsessed with it whereas and now for me anyway success is actually around is, is all centered around actually is everybody else who I know and I work with and I'm affiliated with and you know, from my family, my wife, my kids to, to you know, my, my PA or whatever. Are they happy? Like, are they happy? To, like, am I supportive of them? Am I helping them achieve like their dreams and mm. you know, their aspirations in life? Because if I am, I can tell you what, my life is 20 times more enriched. I'm going to get a hundred times more reciprocal value. And you know, even though that's not what I'm angling for, but you know, if you help people, people help you back 15 times over. Yeah. You know? And, and that, that's what I've recognized and realized in the past, which is sometimes you have to make tough calls, of course, that some people are going to get upset by. And probably in the heat of the moment, they don't really appreciate or recognize the, the benefit of that decision. Um, but in the long run, I think they do. I, I really do think they do. And I, 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 um, I actually remember when I, was, when I was coming towards the end of my career, there was, there was a young lad that was desperate to, to make it as a, as a rugby player. But he was a super, he had a super small start business. And, he was, and his passion and his skill set and his strength was all in that business, right? But he was obsessed with being a rugby player. But the reality was, he wasn't good enough. Mm. He wasn't good, good enough to, to play. And sometimes, yeah, 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 I mean, you have to be cruel to be kind or whatever. You, you've, got to, you've got to say to people, look, I, I really think that this is, not the, this is not the horse you need to be riding right now. There's, there's a better one for you down the road. And whilst it probably tastes pretty awful right now, you're really going to appreciate it. And I never forget, two years ago, he rang me and I was like, mate, it was the best decision. I ever made and like thanks ever so much for that coffee that day where we just went out and I said look why are you flogging the horse like because what people try and do is they've, they've, they've got this vision of success they chase after it they chase after it every time they get disappointed they th throw more hours and more hours more hours at it and actually the way it makes them feel is just worse and worse and worse yeah they, they feel less satisfied because nobody else is recognizing and appreciating them and it becomes even more unattainable and you know sometimes it, success is about helping people see the wood from the trees yeah well i think that's i think that's an incredibly valuable point well with your career how did you map it out was it was it by chance or was there a big strategy around it i thought you were going to say from your career someone should have just told you that 20 <laughs> 
<laughs> Saved us all the disaster. Um, you had a well, mate. So again, a bit of learning. Like my, I was my career was luck more than more than judgment. So to give you a very quick summary, I I went to a, a rugby World Cup, Sevens World Cup in Moscow. I got injured and I've been struggling with an injury. And what I thought was my grand plan, my grand plan was I was going to go, I had a three-year contract on the table. I was going to go to the Rio 2016 Olympics and I was going to have my swan song and I was going to go off into the sunset from there. I got injured this World Cup and within five hours, my contract had been pulled and I'd been told that, look, it's all over. You, you probably need to retire. So I was like, pause. Days ago, this is not like the greatest day I was expecting. Um, and I was sort of 29 at the time. And uh, there was a guy called Sir Robert Knox Johnson who founded this thing called the Clip Around the World Race, this sailing race around the world. And he said, look, we've just done a deal with Downing Street and this campaign called the Great Campaign. We'd love you to become like an ambassador for like a trade envoy for the Great Campaign and be a part of the Great Britain boat. So mm. every, every port that we sail into on the Great Britain boat, you would be the spokesperson, turn up and talk about Britain, you know, business is great, adventure's great, sports great, technology's great, encouraging foreign direct investment into the UK. I was like, okay. I mean, I was literally clutching at straws. I had the, you know, the, the goal of going to Rio, being a captain for GB and whatever, just dashed in. So I was just clutching anything. I was like, oh, done, brilliant. Probably driven a bit again through my eyes of what success were, which was, reward recognition yeah. prey ego driven right so luckily it was an incredible experience and even though it was probably driven for the wrong reasons it ended up being all for the right reasons but on that race i met a senior partner from pwc who did one of the legs and he said i've never met anybody that leads a team the way you lead a team and i know you don't know anything about a business but whatever happens you have to come work for us <laughs> and I was like, Who, who's us? And he was like, PwC. And I, and I still was ego-driven. I was like, nah, mate, brilliant. Thanks so much. But I'm going to finish this race off. My leg will, will have recovered. I'm going to go back and play. And I'll go to Rio and everything else like that. And I remember I got off the boat at St. Catherine's Dock in London, uh, 11 months at sea. He gave me a massive hug because he came down to sort of work on us. And hadn't even some dry land. And he said, when are you going to come work for us? And I was like, <laughs> whatever and call it serendipity but the night that I kind of knew in my gut six months later that it was all over Red Rover he said look mate I've, I've, I've sorted it we want to bring you in as a director and come work as in digital transformation in tax and I remember saying to him oh man it's awesome definitely 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 and I rang put the phone down I rang him straight back I said just Michael just a small detail I don't know anything about tax. I don't know anything about digital. I don't know anything about PwC. And he said, don't worry, you'll be perfect. <laughs> that was it. And five years later, I'm still there. Um, that is brilliant. Yeah, is so, so you, you talk about coaching and you know, coaches are brilliant. I, I'm not saying he was a brilliant, but it's about talent spotting, if you like, talent IDing and seeing yeah. the strength of people even when they might not see it themselves. And he saw that in me. And, and I'm very grateful and thankful to him for that. But, um, you know, and, and I, sh I said to you, I struggled initially to how to, to apply it, but over time it's become a lot easier.
That's brilliant. And do, do you feel you get to use your skill set, your full skill set now on a day-to-day basis? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it goes in peaks and troughs, you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, I, I mean, I do. Certainly, with I try and do it every day, like with my clients and with the people that I work with and whatever else like that. But I, I still think, I, you know, in terms of my, even though I'm a director at PwC, I still think I'm in my relative infancy, if you like, in terms of my, whatever corporate leadership experience i'm trying to apply my behaviors my, my the, what, the stuff i know into an environment where i've only been there for five years in, mm. in, in, in a world of work um so you know, again i think i went into it with the, with the assumption that you know, i'm captain of england I'm, i can you know I, i'll just pick this up like that yeah and and, and it's you know well classic mike tyson analogy like it's you can train all you like and, and psych yourself up until you get punched in the face and then it, the game's is a total game changer. So for me, I walked in, got punched in the face and then you know, licked my wounds for a little bit and then thought, okay, let's, you know, let, let, let's start this learning process. And yeah, and it's been, it's been, it's been a great one. There's obviously days of massive frustration and then other days of huge elation where you get it right. So yeah. hopefully there's more elation than, than deflation. Yeah, that'd be a good win. And when we're hopefully out of all the COVID shenanigans, uh, what do you see your next sort of six months being? Um, well, if, if I'm honest, you mentioned it earlier that nobody really knows what the future future is and what the future's going to hold. I, I've, I actually think that there's, there's quite a nice sort of, I guess, reassurance of that, of like there's so much possibility on, on the horizon because we're almost... You know, Ground zero is you know, a bit extreme, but you know everybody is confined to actually just revel in the moment and enjoy mm. actually the opportunity that you've got of being with your family, being with your loved ones. Being you know, some people are not fortunate enough to be that. You know, some people are stuck on their own in a in a flat for eight weeks in almost like isolation, which is you know I, would, I feel for those people more than anything else. Um, and I'm not a buy, I personally. I'm not a buyer of we're just going to, you know, next week or two weeks time, whatever, flick a switch and everything goes back to normal. Mm. For me, this is a gradual reintegration of society into a new normal, to be honest. And I hope that what it's done, and you've seen it across the UK at the moment, it's ignited in certain situations, a huge respect and admiration and love for people that, you know, give up their, in particularly the NHS, for example, that, you know, they give up their heart and soul. They put their lives at risk for the greater good of mankind. And I think that's, that's putting everything else into perspective. And so I hope, I hope a little bit that post-COVID, you know, we recognise that and continue that. You know, because I think, actually, the working world and society as a whole will be much richer for it if, if we do. The, the classic would be that you know we define success as how we used to define it and we all go through each other over and you know we end up in exact same places we were before and for me some people in our government are exemplary and i think you can see in other places around the world their behavior is just disgraceful you know yeah um and it's it's what's becoming even more prevalent it's about how you behave and how you make people feel that then engenders all these emotions. I've always said that you know, uh, emotions create feelings, feelings drive behavior, right? So 
how you are made to feel and how you like if i trust you all day long i'll turn up if you ask me to wake up at three in the morning i'll do it for you because i trust you and i, th I believe in what you're saying is for the greater good if i think you're a liar and you're conniving you're two-faced you're selfish egotistical i'm not going to get out of bed until yeah. i want to get out of bed, you know so i hope that we take that forward and whenever the covid veil gets taken up which i think is i think is year months if not years away until we get a vaccine you know we've got an opportunity to reset the balance and and actually look after each other and i know that sounds a bit sort of like happy clapping and but i don't mean it in that sense i just mean that there's an there's an ability here for for us to create a, a fantastic social community within our workspace that really ticks that really flies um yeah other than how it was before which is a bit of everyone working in silos and doing stuff a bit secretive and, and whatever else yeah i mean you mentioned behaviors a few times there and yeah. rewarding and driving good behavior it seems a pretty critical part of your your being you've always seemed to focus on the right behaviors uh well hopefully <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really important for me. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've, if you like, the the best place I try and do that. I've got well, a bit like yourself, Nick, but I've got two young kids. I've got a two-year-old little girl and a four-month-old little girl that you know I've been born into a you know a COVID environment or whatever else. But every day I try and, I guess, live. If you say what's leadership, I, every day I try and live and breathe. Great, honest, decent behaviors to my kids that will stand them as in great stead to be you know i hope i hope stand out people in society you know that, that and i think that's really important and i think we lost our way a little bit on on over time within that and i think it it then you know i'm not trying to you know be a preacher of this sort of stuff that's not what i want to do on on, on this chat it's more it resonates across everything. If you're a decent person that acts with honesty and integrity and great values in everything you do, it it resonates at home. It resonates with your, you know, at home with your family, at work with your colleagues, with your friends, and everything you do, your decisions. If they're based on those principles. You're not going to go wrong. Yeah. But if, if if you try and steal a march and cut a corner, sure, you might win. You, know, you, you, you might win in the short term in averted commas and make a few quid more than the other person but is that really satisfactory for you it uh, doesn't make me feel great that if i've won and i'm two steps ahead but somebody else has actually been left in the ditch and and been burnt i, I don't feel particularly great about that scenario yeah and we're seeing that more and more now i mean i remember in 08, where there were a lot of people who maybe got to where they uh, got to where they ended up through some fairly indifferent means, and yeah. uh, the market just cleared them out. You know, sort of, it really felt from sort of 09, uh, 2010 onwards, the good guys started winning, and actually the importance of leadership again. And I think this COVID period will do exactly the same thing. I mean, the people who actually treat people correctly, look after people, and put people at the heart of their decision-making will do really well. Um, yeah, yeah. And will galvanize a team around them to really push on to come out. The ones who don't, I think they're going to find it a really, a really tough time. Mm. And I think, you know, I think um, 
what you're seeing at the moment is that you know the winners are the ones that are uh, brave enough to admit that they don't know all the answers. I think you know, on on COVID because we're talking about it. I think the British public res- respect. I'm not saying they they necessarily always want the answer, but if if you know if the government or if somebody turns around and says, "Look, this thing's moving so fast, I don't know," you know, like mm. I don't know the honest answer, but this is what I think. This is what I feel. I've, I'm trying to get as much data to support this thought process, and you know, this is the trajectory that we're going to go on. If I'm wrong. I hold my hands up. I can even, you know, I'll, you can even get rid of me at the end of it if you like. But, but th- this is the way I think we need to go in order to to come out the end of this in a in a better place than most, right? Yeah. And I think you just you got to respect that because because sometimes you, you just can't, as you said, you can't. You don't know what the future is going to hold, so you can't you can't predict everything. You just got to make decisions on on the here and now and act with great honor, great values and, and good principles and you'll come out at the end of it hopefully in a better place yeah and i know you love a challenge um so what's the what's the type of work or personal challenges you're going to be setting over the next 12 months well uh, unfortunately if you all can. The, yeah yeah all the physical ones that i was loving or looking forward to do uh, i was uh, i was due to ride around the whole of ireland for a good friend of mine doddy weir um who's got motor neurons disease but that we, that had to be cancelled because of the, the, obviously the current situation. Um, I was going to take a whole group of people out to Malawi to do a sort of uh, a, a rugby engagement piece over there with a with a with a company called Orbis, um, and that in October that that's been postponed for the time being. Mm. So I think you know in terms of like the you know the challenges that I've I've set myself, if you like, they're actually they're not climbing mountains or setting world records or anything like that. It's just, for me, it's about, okay, the challenge right now is how can I go out and help as many people as possible? Like generally that's, that's my sort of philosophy. How can I find out from as many people as possible, what's troubling them, what, what things they're wrestling with and how can I help solve that? You know, and again, I'm, I'm going to hold my hands up and say, look, I can't do, I, I won't be able to do all of it, but hopefully I can do a few of them. And if I do, then that's an awesome, that's an awesome challenge complete. If that makes sense, because um, yeah. all the things I've ever loved doing, uh, well, everything in my life, not irrespective of a challenge, you know, I've never woken up and gone to myself or gone to my wife or whatever. There was this one time that was on my own, and it's brilliant. You know, it's it's always like Nick. Do you remember that time that we you know we spoke to each other for your podcast and it was it was like ridiculous and you couldn't shut me up or do you remember this time where we went up Everest or. Blah, blah, blah. It's all about stories. It's all about yeah. sharing stories. And COVID-19, people will share stories from that. Hopefully, there will be positive outcomes for, you know, for, on, in certain aspects of it. For lots of people, there are not so many you know, who have lost loved ones and it's been a traumatic experience or if you're working on a frontline in a NHS, hopefully, even then you can see the, you know, the, the, the every gray cloud has a silver lining of, of some sort. So, um, you know, and that, that for me sitting in the comforts of my own home with my family, I hope for that I can at least do that as my contribution to, to society. Yeah. And, and, and finally, if you ran into a young Ollie Phillips, what advice would you give him? Huh. <laughs> um, I would honestly, uh, I would tell him now, 
because I, I still am a victim of this occasionally myself, but I would say stop worrying about what everyone else thinks. Right. Because I think, if I'm honest, that this was probably the negative from professional sport, was it's an environment whereby ultimately one person decides the fate of your career. You know, whether you play or whether you don't play on the, wing, on the weekend, is determined by one person, the head coach. And so you lived your life every single day, ultimately trying to please that person mm. or validate yourself to that person. Um, and, so, and so my existence, if you like, became about, you know, my focus became about doing everything I possibly could to tick the boxes that they needed ticking rather than the boxes that I needed ticking. So bizarrely, even though, I, you know, don't get me wrong, I love my rugby career and I'm so grateful for it and everything else like that. I think it would have been an even better experience if I had just focused on the things that mattered to me and, yeah. and just worried about my game. You know? So I would say to people, or the young Ollie Phillips, just worry about your game. And I don't mean that in terms of rugby. I just mean that every day. Yeah. You know, worry about maximising your own potential and don't worry about what everyone else thinks because you can't control it. Um, and I spent too many hours sleepless nights, worrying about them, stressed about that, getting anxious about whether I'd get picked, why I wouldn't get picked, being so bitterly disappointed if, I, if, if it didn't go my way, confused, you know, all those emotions and feelings that um, I would imagine millions of other people have gone through off the back of this not understanding somebody's decision when the reality was, oh, there's no way I could, I could have controlled it and I probably would have had a better outcome if I'd have just not cared about them and just maximized me yeah and, I, and then I, we got picked anyway definitely I don't, I don't think it matters what age you are for that advice as well i think it's true to it's true to everyone i would um i would love to uh put some links and have we get in contact that's right because i do think coming out of this there is a, a huge amount of value uh you can offer to people just from like regalvanizing people from behaviors to helping oversee right. some of the business stuff they got going on uh or just sitting in a pub with you reminiscing some stories, which are yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. be great. Yeah, I'd love, you know, it, life's, as I said, life's all about stories. So I'd love to sit there with you and whoever else just to sort of chew the fat. Everyone's got different stories in their life that are fascinating. I've, and uh, I want to exit this planet whenever it is, hopefully in many, many years to come. But you know, having said, you know what, bloody hell, I've heard some amazing stories in my time. What? <laughs> what? Because I've heard what everyone else has lived as well, you know, shared yeah. in all their experiences. So, yeah. Mate, that'd well, be awesome. I've yeah. already had a few of the, the fintech CEOs message me, very keen to see this one and catch up after it. So, I'll, I'll speak to you offline about all that. But, um, uh, Ollie, thank you so much for your time uh, this evening. Uh -huh. It's uh, always a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, some great insights. And I will hopefully uh, see you in person relatively soon. Mate, I look forward to it, top man. Stay safe. And, you know, everyone else, look after yourselves and we'll catch up soon. Brilliant. See you, buddy. Bye. Bye-bye.